was a locksmith in Illinois. There was one day that I woke up and I finally quit biting my nails because I just started carrying around uh, nail clippers with me. Uh, And that took years to figure out that I would finally quit chewing on them if I just cut them. A little too short, maybe. Uh, But back in the days when I bit my nails too much, uh, I had terrible hangnails all the time, and so was always having Band-Aids on my fingers. So I remember there was one day that, sure enough, I woke up one morning and need a Band-Aid on a finger and went went, went off to work. And at some point during the course of that day, absolutely smashed the daylights out of that finger uh, on one of the locksmith machines. And just remember looking down and watching, because it wasn't just watching the red spread underneath the Band-Aid and thought, well, that's really convenient. I've already got the Band-Aid on it. How nice. Wouldn't it be nice if all wounds worked like this and I I already had the Band-Aid on before I smashed my finger? Um, How fun. Some sermons... I look forward to preaching, and I think that they're a lot of fun. And, and some sermons I dread. I, I like, most people like, the happy, pat, on, pat you on the back, keep up the good work kind of sermons. Some sermons are wake-up calls. Some sermons hit close to home, including close to home for me. And I think this one for me hits a little close to home, maybe for all of us, maybe especially in the year 2021. Uh, we're in First Peter chapter one, verse four. A reminder that most of the Bible is written to most of the New Testament is written to Christians, not non-Christians. It's written to the church. It's written to Christians on here's how you as Christians should behave. It's not written towards non-Christians except Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think, are written for that. You guys should accept Jesus. And then I think everything from Acts on is now that you've accepted Jesus, here's how the church should act. And I think that that context is important. So we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. I want to focus on, I mean, really look, look deep at verse 1, but then it kind of expands on that. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit." Arm yourself with the same attitude of Christ. I, this is written to Christians. And, and I, 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 fear that, I fear that most churches probably need to hear this. I think we need to hear this. I know that I need to hear this and be reminded. See, here's the problem. I, I, I'm reading... Uh, I, I'm reading a book right now that was, I don't know when it was written, but it's about some, some, some experiments on, on behavior uh, in, in mice back in the 1960s. Um, 
And, and it talks about the fact that, that society, that, that, that when you give mice all, uh, give them a utopia, give them a paradise with all the food and the, and, and the space and, and you take out all natural predators and all disease and take out all struggles, they fall apart. <laughs> Uh, that, that, and, and, and the point of the book is, is, are we like this with humanity? If you make things too easy on us, do we create our own problems and fall apart? I think uh, the guy who did the experiment said the biggest death of the mice was technology. Yeah, I think technology is a real problem. I think that the Internet has become a real problem. I think that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and all these other things uh, are, are a problem. And one of those problems is that I just don't think that... I think we lose our filter and we lose our common sense. And people get on, on their... I, I'm doing my motions with, with Twitter and, and my phone. And, and, and people get on Twitter and, 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 and they say things that they would never say face-to-face. And we become... I think social media, we have become very non-Christ-like in our behavior. I think Facebook and Twitter and, th- and, and all of these things encourage, well, three out, of four, three out of four affairs statistically begin on Facebook. It hasn't been good for humanity. Uh, I'm not saying delete your account, but I think that as Christians, we need to recognize that technology doesn't bring out the best in us. And we, that doesn't mean get rid of it, but, but we need to look at it eyes wide open. Uh, I think in 20, as technology grows, I think it becomes harder to display a Christ-like attitude in all aspects of our life if we're not on top of this. We, to be armed with the image of Christ isn't just on Sunday morning. It's not just in face-to-face communication. It's all the time, in all places. I think we need to hear this. My, um, my, my wife, I was going to talk about you behind your back since you were going to be gone, but now I can't. So My wife is a very... My, my wa- my my wife uh, has my wife has some pearls of wisdom uh, from time to time, and and I appreciate. Years ago, she made the comment in passing. She won't remember this, that there is a difference between self esteem and self absorption. That is a very true statement. The mystery to me is that often people with the lowest self esteem have the greatest self absorption. Um, I compensating maybe that people who are totally self absorbed usually have low self esteem. Um, uh, you can't fix self-esteem in a sentence. You can't fix it in a sermon. I will say this. God made you. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. If you think you are unworthy, how dare you argue with God? He says you, are wor- you were worthy enough for Christ to die for. That doesn't mean you're perfect, and you shouldn't be self-absorbed, but God loves you for who you are, uh, and, and we have a reason to have a healthy self-esteem. Now, having said that, Biblically, God first, others second, and, and, we, and we put ourselves third. And usually people with low self-esteem try to supplant that and put themselves first. Uh, and that's, it's an overcompensation thing. We are, when we put ourselves first, when we get that priority out of whack and it becomes all about us, our feathers get ruffled when we try to take God's place. We get all bent out of shape about things that I wonder if God would get, would get bent out of shape about. We have to ask ourselves, am I getting worked up about something that God wants me to be worked up about? Am I, am I getting bent out of shape about things that God wants me to be bent out of shape over? Or, or is it just me? I get very guilty of this at times. And, and so I am preaching to myself today. And if you, you can come along for the ride if you want to. 
we as a church cannot put ourselves first. It must always be God first, others second, ourself as individuals last. And so when we look through what Paul says here, and again, this, this was meant to be read as one letter. He's been building towards this. He says our attitude should be the same as Christ. And then he gives us a few examples of that. Our ambitions should be his ambitions. He says in verse 2, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desire, but rather for the will of God. What is our what do we live for? What, what is our goal in life? Because if it's not his goal, it doesn't matter. You know, our, our number one goal shouldn't be to be rich. Our number one goal shouldn't be to be powerful. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't have a job and do well and try to have a secure future. I'm, I'm not against that. Um, uh, Francis Chan, you guys know that I like him as an author. Uh, he talks about having you know, a, a piece of rope that represents your life. And the last little bit of the rope is red, representing retirement. And he says, so many people spend all their time planning for this little bit, but the fact is it doesn't end at the red part. It goes on for eternity. And that's the part we should be planning for, not the little red bit. That doesn't mean, again, that you can't have a savings account or plan for retirement. But we as Christians are looking far more long-term than a few years at the end of our life. What are our priorities? What are our desired results? They need to be God's goals and ambitions. We need his goals. The will of God should be our motive. I, language guy that I am, as everybody now knows, I love, I love my participles and verbs in the Greek language. Uh, Acts chapter 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts, the last verse of the book of Acts says in the NIV, boldly and without hindrance, Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says in English. Um, the language gets a little twisted around as you can do in other languages. The last book word of the book of Acts is unhindered. And I think that there's a deep poeticism that the, that the story of the church as written in the book of Acts ends on the word unhindered. That's our goal. That's the final word of the church, is that the gospel is to be proclaimed unhindered. That's, what, that's our job, that's my job. That's how I want to preach, unhindered. Um, nothing in the way. I, when I wrote this sermon, I wrote, I, I wrote the words, I, I don't care if you hate my sermons. That's probably not true. I'm going to be honest, I probably do care. But, it should, but I shouldn't care. Uh, it shouldn't be, the issue is not whether you like my sermons or, or, or hate my sermons or you hate how I dress or you hate how I look uh, because my job isn't to please you. Um, my job is to help you grow. And, and if in the course of growing, sometimes it hurts, that's okay as long as you're still growing spiritually. Uh, I... The, my goal is to preach the gospel unhindered, without apology. If the sermons offend you, well, sometimes that may be my mistake, but sometimes that may be that you need to be offended. Because Jesus offended a lot of people. He was a stumbling stone for many. Pharisees found the message of Jesus very offensive. They were convinced of their own righteousness that they didn't need to change. And any comment about from Jesus on you need 
to become more, more godly. They, they felt that they were already there. If I preach happy sermons that tickle our ears, our numbers may grow on a Sunday morning, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're doing it right. Because people like to have happy, feel-good messages that tickle their ears. Um, but, but biblical preaching is offensive at times. Biblical preaching runs people off at times. Uh, if, if narrow is the gate and small is the way that leads to life and few there are that find it, then we shouldn't expect most people to want to become Christians. Even when present, in fact, especially when presented with the true gospel, the true gospel is very otherworldly. It's very alien. It's very offensive to the world. And and I don't. And I think most. And, and as our world becomes incre- increasingly sinful, and I th- I think it is, as our world becomes increasingly sinful, the gap between what the church preaches and what the world thinks is right grows. I think less and less people. Now there will be people that say this is what I'm missing. There is. Blaise Pascal, and I'm going to misquote him terribly, uh, says that there is a hole in everybody that, uh, that people are desperate to try to fill with anything that can fill that gap. But that gap is God, and that is the only thing that fills it. And there will be some people that will try thing after thing after thing, sex and drugs and rock and roll and all of these things, and when that's not filled, they may eventually turn to the church and say, this is what I was missing. And those are the people we absolutely want, want to be there for and help. But most people will do anything other than the church in their spirit of rebellion. And our message will offend them. But it's not our message, is it? It's, it's, it's Jesus' message. We are called to be faithful to the Bible, regardless of, of which people it pleases, because our goal isn't to please people. It is only to please God. Our goal is to please God. That must be our ambition we have to wake up. We have a job to do. Our individual goals are not as important as God's goals, and we must keep our eyes on his prize. What are his goals and his ambitions? He wishes to seek and save the lost. That doesn't mean everybody becomes a preacher, but everybody is a Christian in all places at all times and always bears the image of Christ. We are called to be Christ-like. That has to be our ambition. Our ambition should be his ambition. Our activities should be his activities. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. And then Paul gives a nice long list of terribly pagan practices. Too many Christians serve God in the leftover time. When they, when, when they get through the rest of their week, if there's time to come to church, they go to church. If there's time to read their Bible, they read their Bible. If there's time to pray, they pray. But God gets the leftovers. But that's not lordship. That's not following Christ. That's just trying to squeeze him in. If we give our life to Christ, then it's all his. Not, not just free weekends. All our activities fall under his lordship. We do ask that question, what would Jesus do? That, as I've said before, while, while kind of corny and marketed and, and a little bit uh, uh, played up too much to the point that people kind of mocked it for a while, it's a great question, and it still is a good question. What would Jesus do? Some will point out that Jesus was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. And they might use that to justify, well, so that's, Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, so this is why I go to the bars, and um, this is why I do the things that I do. Let me say, I have witnessed, um, I, can, I can say I have witnessed in bars and in nightclubs 
uh, and places where the sinners are. But I will also say that I, I was in those places specifically for the purpose of sharing Jesus, not for the purpose of, of, of having drinks uh, or, or, getting, or getting drunk. Um, uh, it wasn't for the purpose of fun. And I think of G- you know, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, the tax collector, not for the purpose of eating even. Nothing wrong with eating. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to your house, but it wasn't to have lunch. It was to witness to Zacchaeus. There was a reason. I, I like innocent hobbies. I like... I, yeah. Full confession. Everybody knows me knows this. I probably like hobbies too much. Um, thank you again to all of you who unloaded. I will remember, Mike, I will never forget. As we were unloading and you had the sixth or seventh or eighth long, white, heavy box, and you said, what is in these? And I said, comic, comic books. And, and the look on his face as he'd realized he'd been carrying up and down stairs, box after box after box after box of, of comic books. Um, yeah, I've got too many. Um, and too many science fiction novels and, and too, too many board games. Uh, I, I, like, I like hobbies, may, may, maybe too much. And, I did, and it is for me, this, the ongoing struggle is how do I keep my hobbies in balance with the rest of my life? And I struggle on that. I, 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 full confession, I struggle. I, hobbies are good. Hunting, cars, shopping, ladies. Um, sh- shoes, I don't get it, but, but I guess because I, I, I'm not a girl. I don't, I don't get the fascination with owning so many shoes. Um, whatever your hobby is, is Christ in charge? Does Christ have the lordship over all of us, over all that we do? Are our activities his activities? Uh, we... We know that the Bible says don't murder. Don't, nobody contests this. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't, don't, don't cheat on your spouse and sleep around. Don't do drugs. We, we know this, but non-Christians know this too. This doesn't make us any better than non-Christians. What about gossip? What about laziness? What about greed or pride or lust? See, avoiding drugs and being faithful to your spouse, many people think, well, that's, that's what the Bible calls us to. Non-Christians know that. We don't need the Bible to tell us that. The rest of the world is that good, by and large. Christ calls us to be Christ-like. Not just don't do wrong, but do right. Follow this, and this is not an always easy book to follow, and it should, it should step on our toes sometimes. And, and we're called to be, not good, we're called to be Christ-like all the time, nothing less. Our activities should be his activities. Our, this is where it gets tough, our abuse should be his abuse. Um, they heap abuse on you. It ends in verse 4. When you don't do these things with them, these pagan activities, they heap abuse on you. Of course they do. They don't, they don't want to see us be Christ-like. It's a reminder to them that they're not. If we do our job as Christians, we will suffer. That is the point of first peter he wrote this in the context that christians were suffering and his point was it's good for you hang in there jesus suffered too you're okay our dilemma is that when we suffer we think we've done something wrong we do everything to get out of it now let me be very clear there's a big difference between christian suffering and and non-christian suffering and i will reiterate if you cheat on your taxes and the irs comes after you you don't get to pat yourself on the back and say it's because I'm a Christian. Okay, that's just that that's an obvious example, and there are so many other examples. If you do something wrong and you suffer 
for it, for doing something wrong, but you've earned that. But as Christians, as Christians, we are an enemy of Satan, who is the prince of this world, and he is out to get us. And, and we, if we're doing our job, we, should su- we will suffer. Satan, Satan does not have unlimited resources. He is not omnipotent. He only has, at, at limited resources, he only attacks a few people. I firmly believe this. He only attacks people that are, that are opposed to him and making his life miserable which is Christian. If, if you're no threat to him, he has no reason to attack you. It's Christian. You know, I've got a friend that when he graduated Bible college, um, one of my best friends in college, his name was Steve, went off to Chicago, planted a church in inner city Chicago, uh, young guy, recently married, little girl, cancer, within the first few months. Died a few months after that. Um, very, very tragic. Uh, very, very, very bizarre for someone so young to get cancer at such a young age but he was a but but his their first sunday they had like over like 150 people on their first sunday he had celebrities coming to his church um he was a threat to satan i don't i peter's point in part is we will be attacked because satan hates us when we're doing the right job and that's just part of the process um you, it is impossible. I, I, it is impossible to play a game of chess and not lose some pieces, right? I mean, that's the whole point of chess: is you're gonna you're gonna capture. We are at war. We're gonna get hit. There's gonna be losses. Uh, Satan's going. We, we we can't expect to get through this life opposed to Satan and then have a stress free life. If we're doing our job, there will be tough times ahead of us. Um, when, so when I was younger. Uh, and and moved to Urbana, Illinois, uh, and and Pam was from the trim, is from the twin city of Champaign, Champaign, Urbana, twin cities in Illinois. Moved to Urbana to start a ministry among the goth community. Um, I think I had black lipstick and nail polish on when I met you. I don't remember exactly what I was wearing, but it would have been close, something close to that. Um, and and went to the goth nightclubs and, and established a ministry there. Now, eventually the ministry ended, and there were a couple of reasons for this. Number one, I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. I could have probably, in retrospect, there were so many things I've learned since then that I wished I had done better. But the other thing was, after a number of years of this, I had I baptized one person, and she's not a Christian anymore. Uh, that it, it wasn't what I would call a, a, a super successful ministry. Uh, I did have a friend that later, after the ministry ended, I did have one friend who became a Christian. Um, but but by and large, I don't know that I made a lot of impact in people's lives. Um, I, I I did kind of a Bible study with them, and and why and it started off with a big attendance, and it trickled away until one one day nobody showed up. And for me, that was the indication that 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 it was time to wrap this ministry up. Um, the The goal was to help people come to Christ. If at some point there's nobody coming anymore, um, they liked it when I patted them on the back and said, you're good people and, and God loves you. They liked that part of the message. But as we got deeper into the Bible and we talked about what, what God calls for us, it kind of scared them off. Um, they, they didn't like to be pushed to be Christ-like. Good enough is never good enough. 
we grow, we as Christians, we grow complacent and forget that we're called to be nice or good. But the Bible calls us to be more than that. This church is not a social club. It's not meant to be a social club. It's not meant to be a place to hang out and have friends. It's meant to transform us into his image, and that's not always easy. Statues, statues were once unformed rocks, but it takes a hammer and a chisel to turn a statue uh, in, from a rock into something that it's something more than what it, than just an unformed rock. To turn it into what the artist desires to see it become, it takes hammer and chisel and blows, and we are being formed by God. But I think when we talk about being formed by God, we might like the image of the potter and the clay, and certainly that image is used in the Bible. Uh, and, and potters and clay, it's this kind of nice, uh, 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 soft shaping it. But I don't think that, that actually holds up all the time. I think sometimes we get chiseled away at by God, and sometimes that hurts. Um, we, we get hit, our patience gets tried, we are hurt in the process. I may be the one that hurts you sometimes. It's not my goal. It's my goal to help shape you. It's not the goal. The pain is not the goal. Uh, sometimes it may be accidentally that I hurt you. It may, may be on purpose that I am chiseling away at you through sermons, and, and, and I expect you to do the same to me and help me to be Christ-like. This church is in the process of chipping away rough edges, hammering away the corners, and you're going to get hurt. So here's your band-aids. If you want to put them on before the wound takes place, that's fine. You can do that because it's coming. It's nice to get the band-aid on maybe before the wound takes place, and that's okay. Um, knowing now that you're going to get wounded, just just brace for it, because being a Christian is not always easy, and we will get hurt. Uh, he is a stumbling block, and Peter has an entire book about suffering, so we can't say, well, I, why am I suffering? God must not love me. I must be doing something wrong. Suffering is part of the process of becoming Christ-like. Finally, I would say, our assessment should be his assessment of our life. We, we judge by his standards. They will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's what we're called to do, all of us, to give account. You know, a number of years ago, I had a friend of mine that beat me in a board game. And at the end of the board game, he, had the silly, he, he made the statement, thank you, whoever, whoever is up there, thank you for this win. And I said, oh, <laughs> what, what, would you like me to introduce you? <laughs> this is ha- happy to tell you who that is. He said, no, 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 that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I said, no, I, I don't think you are. <laughs> he said, no, 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 I'm good. I've got lots of time for that. Maybe down the road. I said, if you wait till that point in time, till the end, I think you're out of time. He said, no, nah, I think I'm good. I had another friend that I, that, I, that I think of that we were out for a walk one day, and I asked him, I said, do you, do you think... We'll just make up the name John. I said, John, do you think that you are a Christian? And he said, ooh, that's a good question. I said, no, 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 that's not, that's not the good question. I don't remember what his answer was because then my follow-up question was the good one. Do you, do you think God thinks that you're a Christian? Because that's the only one that matters, right? Our assessment of ourselves is, is meaningless. You, you can think that you're anything that you want to think. This is the problem with our world. Our world thinks that, subjecti- that subjectivity matters. Subjectivity, it doesn't matter what you think you are. The only thing that matters is what God thinks that you are. 
Um, truth, truth is not subjective. Uh, it doesn't matter your opinion. You, you can think you can think you're a great musician, and you may not be. You can think that you're a nice person, and other people may not think that about you. Um, you may think that you are uh, brilliantly creative. I've, I've mentioned that I've been working on this writing project with some friends, uh, working on just a science fiction book on the side, and have discovered that editing is horrible, just absolutely brutal. Uh, and I appreciate that the, that, the, that the director of the company said, we may want to look at down the road and not paying everybody quite the same because some people it takes more to edit their stuff than others. Is it just something to file away as a thought? Boy, he's correct. There are some people that can turn in projects and turn in things, and I don't have to edit. I, I read through it, and I go, this is perfect. And there are other people that it may take me, they may have written 200 words, and it may take me 30 minutes to try to edit and fix the grammar. I could have written those 200 words in like 5, 10 minutes. It takes me 30 minutes to edit theirs. They may think that they're a great writer, but it's not everybody. Just because you think that you're a good writer doesn't mean that you are. You think that you're a good musician. And here's our struggle. There are a lot of people that pat themselves on the back and say, I think I'm right with God. But it doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what does God think. And we, we can objectively go to this and say, the Bible tells us what it means to be right with God. It's not about what's in your head. It's about what the Bible says means to be right with God. Here's an easy answer. Are you more like, just today, first Sunday of November, go back a year ago, first Sunday of November last year. Are you more Christ-like today than you were a year ago? If you are, then we as a church, supporting you and helping to train you, we're doing our job. If we're not, then if you're not more like Christ, if there hasn't been growth, then I'm not sure that we're serving you. Now, that could be that you're not listening, or it could be that we're not serving you the way that you need to be fed. I'd like to talk with you after church about what that looks like, because we should be... We don't become a Christian and quit. (laughs) The the wrong attitude is that I'm becoming Christ-like until the day that I get baptized and become a Christian. And then from that point, I've arrived. But what the Bible says is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That salvation is a process that we're working through as we are being made Christ-like. And, and every we should be growing in Christ and every year should be more Christ-like than the one before. That doesn't mean that we're there. We're always becoming more Christ-like. But it should be an ongoing process, not an, a, a one-and-done event. Uh, if, if you don't feel that you're growing, I'd like to talk with you about how to help with that. Um, because the church isn't about, it's not a social club. It's not about trying to get higher attendance numbers. It's not about potlucks and, and, and Christmas cantatas, and, and it's, not, it, it's not about the financial statements of the church. And, uh, it's just about drawing closer to God through his son, Jesus. That's, that's what we're to be held to account for. And if we're not more Christ-like, then we're not doing our job. Our hymn of decision, is it 131? Change my heart. We are called to arm ourselves with his attitude. So that, and this is the point of First Peter, so that we can prevail over suffering. Because the suffering is coming. Because without his attitude, we will get hurt. But, but without his attitude, we will get hurt for no reason. 
We're going to get hurt, but with his attitude, um, we're being chipped away at, but it's for a good reason. It's because we're being made in the, remade in the image of Christ. Uh, he is forging us, carving us into a new person, into a Christ-like person. If you haven't made the decision to commit your life to Christ, uh, to be like Jesus, I'd like to talk to you about that too. Uh, let, let him have permission to mold you and change you to be a better person, to be the best person, to be like Jesus. It's not easy. This is not bait and switch. Being a Christian is not easy. It doesn't make everything better. But it makes the things that matter better and the things that don't matter uh, begin to fall away. It's worth it. If you're not a Christian, let's talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.